I cannot communicate how good it is to be with you all this morning. Uh, many of you I do not know or have just met this morning, and that is a good thing. And the reason that's a good thing is because that is a testament to what the Lord has done among you these past three years. Um, so that, that's, just a, that's just so encouraging to me to come back and see so many new faces. And the old ones too. Hey, we love you guys too, but it's good to see the new faces. Um, it's pretty crazy to think how quickly three years can go by. Uh, we left here with a four-month-old son. Uh, Elijah is now three. Nora is two. And then Crystal's pregnant. And we're about to have Olivia Joy, who's going to be born in seven weeks, right? When you start getting ready for that. Um, but, and uh, so anyways, life is flying by. But um, the short answer, some of you have asked, how is life going for y'all? Life is sweet. We have a rich life. Many brothers and sisters over in small Selmer, Tennessee. Raise your hand if you've ever been there. Selmer, Tennessee. Anybody? We well, need to give it a try. Wes, Mary, up in there. Anyways, uh, great church there. It's just a First Baptist Church. Great team of, of pastors I do ministry with. And uh, the Lord has been very good and very faithful to us. So, And I'm encouraged to hear that the same is true for you all. Uh, your kids are growing like weeds, just like ours. And uh, you have this beautiful facility to have worship in. Uh, you guys have arrived at the promised land, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We left right before you guys entered, so I don't know what that means about us. But anyways, it's a sweet, sweet time. Uh, I've been receiving raving reviews about the church, and of course I hear that from Weston, so that's probably not going to surprise you if you know Weston very well. Uh, he's an encourager, but of how God is growing this fellowship and how this church is reaching families, obviously, as we can see this morning, and how the gospel is transforming and shaping and changing your lives day by day. And, um, you know, Paul tells the Colossians in uh, Colossians 1, that's where we're going to be this morning in Colossians. He tells them that uh, he always thanks the Lord for him, knowing that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing among them as it has since the day that they heard it and first understood it. And uh, even just being in Sunday school with you all this morning, just so good to hear how the gospel is shaping your lives and changing your lives day by day as you just grow healthier and healthier together as a church family. Um, how, long, how long has Blackman, we're just, we got to walk down memory lane for a second. How long has Blackman been a thing now? Okay, six years. And I don't even know at what point we were here. We're like at 2014, 2015. But uh, I look back on those days before the promised land when we were just in the wilderness roamings. If you'll remember those days, we roamed from the Blackman Community Club is where, where y'all were when we got here to the YMCA. <laughs> Where we only had Sunday night church. I'm going to tell you what, it's a little weird going to Walmart on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and feeling like a heathen because you need to go to church today. I'm going tonight. Um, so I never got used to that. Uh, the Concord Baptist Association, we were there. And then, like I said, right before you guys came in, we moved. Lots of sweet memories. Those uh, particularly, you know, Wes, let me help lead music. And uh, those songs that we wrote from the Psalms that we subjected you to. Uh, specifically the ones I wrote, Wesley's were great, but particularly the ones I wrote. Sam, I still apologize for that, brother, but I'm thankful for you. Um, he made us sound pretty decent, but anyways, I have more than nostalgia to offer this morning, I hope. I just want to just encourage you. Uh, that's really all I want to do this morning is just be a cheerleader for what the Lord is doing in this fellowship. And, and it's, it's, y'all don't have the perspective I have to have been gone for three years and come back and see what the Lord's doing. So take, just be encouraged this morning. The Lord's faithfulness to you is so, so obvious. So, Well, this morning I want to bring us just a simple message. Simple because you're probably not going to hear anything you haven't heard before. I hope that's not true, but it's possible. But if you're like me, just because it's simple does not mean that it's always easy in application. Just because some, we have something in our heads doesn't mean that it's always easy to apply it in our lives. 
And so we're going to be looking at the topic of sanctification, how that process happens in our lives, both individually and in the context of the local church. Uh, How do we grow in godliness? How do we know that we are further along in the faith today than we were three years ago when we were last year? How do we know that? So I believe at least part of that answer is found in our text this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. You could be good in turning there. And uh, here's what I want us to take home this morning, sanctification. Though it plays itself out, the whole course of our lives, that's the process that we're on if we're in Christ. This passage helps us boil it down to think simply about what it is. Really a, a two-step process in our lives of putting off the old and putting on the new. And we're just going to look at what that, what that looks like in our lives. And so um, in my walk with Christ, I've found this to be a liberating way of thinking about my sanctification. You know, it's complicated, but I can, I can simply wrap my head around that. Put off, put on. And so that's what we're going to look at. In our text this morning. And you know, and rooted in God's grace and fueled by the gospel, this is something I can sink my teeth into. Killing sin, putting off the old, growing in godliness. Because none of us has fully arrived. You were like me this morning and that there are things in your life you have yet to put off. And that there are uh, attributes of godliness that you have yet to put on. There is still sin in our lives that we need victory over. Um, There are attributes of godliness we have yet to attain. Sanctification is a process. We're all on it. So I hope this morning we move a little further along as we encounter his word. So as we move into our passage, let's let's approach it asking God to make these things a reality in our lives. Let's go ahead and stand together as we read God's word from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. A little bit lengthier, but we're going to read this whole passage together. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning. God, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here, to be among these brothers and sisters, to share a Lord's Day with them. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts this morning as we hear from your word. God, you, you have blessed us greatly 
Lord, but the life that is ours in Christ. Lord, you have, as we've sung about, Lord, you have graciously saved us by no merit of our own. You've taken our dead hearts, Lord, and you have breathed life into them. And you've given us a desire to live for you that cannot come from ourselves. Lord, we come before you humbly this morning. And we just confess how woefully short we fall in living lives worthy of the gospel. Lord, we need your help. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we call out to you this morning, God, we ask for you to do a revealing work in our hearts. Reveal to us things that still are lingering in our lives that are part of the old man that need to be put away, God. Reveal to us things in our lives we've yet to attain, God, that we need to put on, God, rooted in the gospel. Lord, would you help us in this this morning? Would you bring our lives in greater alignment with your word? Lord, in greater alignment with the image of your son, Jesus Christ, God. That's our prayer as we approach you this morning. We pray it in faith, God, knowing that your word is able to sanctify us. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, from the start, I'll go ahead and say this is a 17-verse passage, so this could be a long sermon. But I'm going to give us more of a 10,000-foot flyover, and I apologize for that. But I only get one shot, so we're just going to do as much as we can here. Um, but before we can move into this practical one-two step of putting off, putting on, we have to lay the foundation for that. And I think the context of where this passage is is important. So we're actually going to go back and look at chapter 2 a little bit as well. Um, and so if... if um, if you will look back in chapter 2 at verse 23, you, you go ahead and be turning around. Paul spends much of Colossians dealing with false teaching. You guys are probably familiar with that. But part of that is this appeal to asceticism that if you will do these things, then you will be able to uh, maintain your sinful flesh. And Paul responds to that teaching in verse 23 of chapter 2. And this is what he says. He says, These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so Paul gives us the right way to grow in godliness in chapter 3 as much as anything in response to the wrong way of doing it that we see in chapter 2. Paul tells us plainly that self-help, man-made rules cannot sanctify us. No amount of legalistic discipline will truly make us holy. In the end, these solutions will be unsuccessful. Any success that we do find in our own strength will just promote pride in our hearts. Um, Martin Luther, before he became the great reformer, was a Catholic priest in his early 20s. And uh, you guys have to apologize. I'm, I'm in a church history class right now, so we're going we're gonna to go back to the past. But during this time, Luther dove headfirst into Catholic practice, doing everything possible he could to attain God's favor. He confessed every single sin he could think of all the time. We're just constantly thinking about it. He went above and beyond in his penance, trying to pay back the Lord, desperately trying to earn God's favor. And all the while, he's just working himself up, working himself up. So much so that he actually did long-term, uh, he hurt his physical health in a long-term way by just trying so, so hard. And um, finally, the Lord revealed to him in the book of Romans, in his guilt and his shame, that uh, he can't earn God's favor in his righteousness. That he has to receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to him. And uh, he realized that he was dependent on him. And that gave him a great freedom then to be able to run and to be sanctified. And, and that freedom is really what sparked, in large part, the Reformation. That glorious news that there's nothing I can do to, to earn God's favor. I can't live up to God's standard. Instead, God has loved me in Christ. And that's really what, the, what sparked the Reformation. But um, in the same way for us... Only until the foundation of the gospel is laid can we move into kind of thinking about how to put off 
and put on. So we're going to do that this morning. I want to just remind you that the gospel that saves you is the gospel that sanctifies you. I know y'all heard that this morning. Y'all heard that before. But it's important just to remember. We, we know that. We don't always function like that. The gospel that saves you is the gospel that sanctifies you. Paul knew this all too well, which is why in his letters, he always starts with the gospel. If you look at the letters that he writes, they are, each letter is unique, but normally they're laid out in a way to where he tells the gospel, fleshes out the glories of the gospel, what God has done for us in Christ. And then only after sufficiently establishing that gospel foundation, he moves into more of a practical application. Sometimes you'll see a big, therefore, in light of these things, live like this. And so I think that's kind of where we're at in this passage, this turning point where he has laid that foundation. Because as we said, no amount of self-help, legalism, human regulations, bare-knuckle disciplines uh, can change us. Only the gospel can change us. And, and I don't know about you, but I've already lived long enough to see that. There's, I've, I've created so many resolutions in my life that just haven't worked. You can ask Crystal. You can ask Weston. I don't know how many of those we tried. But what does work is when I'm saturated in the gospel, you know what? When I'm most saturated in the gospel, that's when I live and look most like Jesus. And I know you guys know that. You love the gospel here. But I just want to remind us of that. So let's look at how Paul talks about the gospel in Colossians. Wes and I clearly in the same wavelength. This was the uh, confession of faith. But look in chapter 2 in verse 13. And this is what Paul says about the gospel in Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 13. He says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a lie together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the, to the cross. And here is what God has done for you this morning, church. You were dead in your sin with no hope, but God brought you to life by no merit of your own, nothing you've done, nothing you earned. You didn't deserve it. God brought you back to life. By His grace. And uh, Paul compares it in this passage to a giant debt that we could not pay, that Christ paid for us. I just want to think about that in the terms of financial debt. Let's think about that for a second. If you, uh, if you went to union like me, then you'll resonate with some of that financial debt. Can I get an amen? Okay. Maybe if not, that's what I'm talking about, Mary. I, told, I needed somebody in the congregation to give me a little amen or something. We're real spirit-filled over us this afternoon. We're not. But, um... Anyways, lots of debt. Um, maybe you've been in debt in the past. Maybe you're debt-free now. Has anybody ever, the Dave Ramsey show, you call in, I'm debt-free, you party and celebrate right? So anyways, if you've heard that. But you think about the joy that would accompany that if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm going to take all that debt that you have, all that union debt or all whatever debt, and I'm going to write a check right now and we're just going to get this thing settled up. What would you do if somebody came to you and did that? I'd be throwing a party. I'd be coming to Murfreesboro. I'd be calling up my friends. We'd be going out to eat and just celebrating and that, that liberating feeling of our debt being paid. And, and brothers and sisters, how much greater is our sin debt before the Lord than that? And the joy that should accompany that, that being freed from financial debt is the joy tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold that should accompany our joy that our debt has been paid in Christ. Paul teases this picture out further when he says in verse 14, Our record of debt was nailed to the cross. And uh, when, and you, y'all may have heard this before, but in, in the context there, when uh, when people were crucified, Roman officials would uh, make a, uh, I guess, a, a little letter of what they had done to deserve that punishment, and they would nail it up on the cross beside them so that everybody could see this is what they did to receive that punishment. And the picture that Paul is painting here is that 
as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the, the letter does not contain the sins and the things that he has done wrong to deserve punishment. Instead, the notice has my sins on it and your sins on it. All the things that we have ever done wrong. That is why Christ hung on the cross. That is why he died on the cross to bear the wrath of our sin. I think about how long my notice would have been hanging from that cross. It would have had to have some real fine print. And it would have gone on down to the ground. And all the things that I've ever done, all the things that you've ever done, every sin that we have ever committed was laid on Christ on the cross. And the wrath of God reserved for us was placed on Christ. And that is a beautiful picture of the gospel this morning. And I'm convinced that the gospel, swimming in that gospel, diving headfirst in that gospel, living in that gospel, is the only thing uh, that will bring about true transformation and sanctification in your life. So we have to get the first part right. We can only attempt this next part of living for God uh, after we've realized what, is, what God has done for us in the gospel. Uh, in the safety net of the gospel. Knowing that our failures cannot bring us condemnation. And uh, basking in this truth uh, changes us from the inside out. Compels us to live for Him. We're given new hearts that want to please God now. And so out of a heart saturated with the gospel, we suit up. And we go to war with the flesh, seeking to make our lives look more like Jesus. We seek the things that are above. We set our minds on things that are above, as you see in verse 1. Because we have died, and our lives are hidden with Christ and God. We wage war knowing the day is coming when Christ, who is our life, will appear. And we will appear with Him in glory. And Paul gives us some practical tips for how to wage this uh, gospel-saturated war. The pattern of sharing with Christ in His death and His resurrection. We do that in baptism. That's also the pattern of our sanctification. Putting to death what is earthly in us, putting away those old practices, and putting on the new life. And this is a complete makeover. Head-to-toe wardrobe change. That's the picture here. Imagine one of your sweaty, dirty kids coming in from playing in the backyard. He's filthy. He stinks. I'm thinking particularly about my son right now. hope you can get this image in your head. And he runs in the bathroom. You take his filthy clothes off. You throw them on the floor. He gets into a big old bubble bath. Comes out and put on his coziest pajamas that smell like the laundry detergent. That is a picture of this transformation of putting off the old, putting on the new. And this this two-step process is known uh, uh, by theological terms, mortification and vivification. Okay, I'm going to throw around some big words right here. Uh, Mortification means killing sin, to kill sin. Vivification, the opposite, bringing something to life, bringing to life the attributes of God. So let's spend just a minute looking at how those things happen with the gospel as our foundation. Now we can kind of dive into the text. And so uh, the killing sin part, the mortification part, look at verse 5. This was in our confession of sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, it would seem that the picture of putting to death is pretty strong here by Paul, but he knows that our sanctification hinges on this, that our sanctification requires the killing of our sin, and we need to see our indwelling sin the same way this morning uh, as a mortal enemy that must be slayed. Uh, this is not something to be played around with. We, uh, we bought our first house in like February, and uh, we have a playroom in our house, which I highly recommend if you have young kids. So what that means for me is when it's time to pick up the toys, I just walk around the house, the kitchen, the living room, systematically pick up all the toys, take them to the playroom door, and just kind of chuck them in the room. Anybody else do that? And, uh, and then the house is clean. You just kind of wipe your hands and walk away. And uh, so I recommend that. But um, So one of these days, I finally decided you know, I need to go in there and kind of sort through 
all these toys, get them in the right box, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sitting in the floor, uh, kind of sorting through Nora's puzzle pieces, and I look down out of the corner of my eye, and I see a baby snake slithering around in, uh, in Nora's puzzle pieces. And so do you know what I do? I look at that thing, and I just start, I mean, just stomping that thing. I mean, I'm talking probably 15 stomps like my life depended on it. I know some of you probably just killed grown men snakes. Any grown men in here, y'all can just take a big snake. But for me, this was a big deal, right? I'm taking this baby snake out because I don't know, uh, you know, and it's one of those things where I kind of look up at the door frame when it's over and all I just kind of stand there. Everything okay? It's fine, buddy. Just move on. Move on. It's all taken care of. Um, but anyways, that's the picture here. That, that tenacity with which I went after that baby snake that could have done harm to my little girl playing a bunch of pieces, that is the tenacity with which we ought to be about killing our sin. Um, you probably heard this quote from the Puritan John Owen more church history, I'm sorry. He said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There is no neutral when it comes to our sin. Uh, if we're not actively waging war against it, then it is encroaching upon our lives. We need to see sin, though, at the same time and for what it is in light of the gospel. In one sense, it is a vanquished foe that has no power to snatch us from the grace that we have found in Jesus. No matter what we do, no matter how bad we stumble, we cannot be snatched out of the hand of God. Is that not a good thing this morning? But at the same time, at the same time, it does have the power to rob us of the joy and the peace and the hope that ours that is ours in Christ. Um, and it does. When we give ourselves away to sin, even though our salvation is still secure in the hand of God, the vitality of our faith and our walk with the Lord is compromised. And um you just look at these lists, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetous, covetousness. Down in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying to one another. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That's what the text says this morning. Our lives used to be marked by these things before we were in Christ. Maybe you got saved at a young age. You don't remember a whole lot of this. But before we were in Christ, these are the things that marked our lives. These are the things that marked our desires. Now, though, we are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our Creator. And there is no room in this sanctifying renewal for the deeds of the flesh. And though our war with sin will be waged every day for the rest of our lives in complete victory, we will never achieve this side of heaven. We can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, see sin's power and its sway increasingly decrease in our lives. So Blackman, just a point of application. I want us to ponder in our hearts uh, what deeds of the flesh you may need to put away this morning. Just think about that in your mind and heart. Maybe some stuff to the outside world that wouldn't look that bad. You know, a bad attitude toward your spouse or a negative spirit. Or maybe it is something more serious, something that you've wrestled with for a long, long time and you just haven't been able to gain victory over. We may not gain victory today, but we can confess that, we can lay it down, and we can we can ask the Lord to help us put off those things today. And so ponder in your heart right now, what what is that in your life? What are some of the things in your life that you have yet to put off? Because you're dead. So put it off. Live like a dead man. Put it away. Live like live like a man who's been given new life. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Great Divorce. I'm sure some of you have read it. It's a fictional story about a group of, of ghost-like souls that board a bus and go to heaven, or really the outskirts of heaven. And uh, when they get there, they realize that everything there is more dense and solid than they are. The grass hurts their feet as they walk. 
they, they can barely hold up a piece of fruit because it weighs so much. Um, and each soul that's there is given the opportunity really to stay, to find the joy that's found in heaven to stay. And one by one, they each reason their way back onto the bus. They find some kind of excuse or reason why it'd just be better to, to get, on, get back on the bus. Except for one soul who, uh, who he particularly struggles with lust, and that's personified by a red lizard. That was kind of a weird story, but a red lizard that's kind of perched up on his shoulder at all times. And the lizard's just kind of continually telling him lies and uh, deceiving him and telling him, you don't want to kill me. You know, if you kill me, it's going to hurt you. I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm your friend. I mean, just feeding him all these lies. And an angel comes up to the guy and says, hey, like, I can just kill that thing for you right now. Let me just kill it for you. And he's like, I don't, know, I don't know how long of the book is, is committed to them just kind of going back and forth. And finally, he gives in and says, all right, kill it. And the angel takes that lizard and just snaps its neck. And you know what happens when he snaps that lizard's neck? That ghost-like figure suddenly becomes this solid, dense figure. He's now a man. And uh, the lizard becomes a stallion. And the guy hops up on the stallion, and he rides off into the vast expanse of heaven. And that is a picture of what killing sin in our lives, even though we are, we are in God's hand, we are saved, the joy that is, that, is, that is ours can be found in that picture. The battle against our sin is not a battle against our joy and our happiness. Rather, it is a battle for our maximum pleasure that is only found in God. The fight will be painful. You will have to give up parts of your life that you do not want to give up. But once sin is mortified in your life, once selfishness is mortified in your life, all the things that you wish you could lay down, God brings us unexpected joy and greater pleasure than we ever could have imagined. And I know that you guys have experienced that. When you say no to sin and when you choose to be that, be, you know, to live in righteousness, the joy that that brings us in our faith. And that's a picture of what's going on as we mortify sin. So First, by the way, I've been horrible with my points here. But the first point was the gospel is the foundation of your sanctification. Second point is that part of sanctification requires mortifying our sins, putting off the old flesh. But that's step one. Let's move on to step two quickly. I know we're, we're running low on time, but we're just going to touch on this. In our sanctification, we don't have just to remove the bad. We replace it with the good, the vivification part. We not only kill something, we also bring something to life. We replace the dead with what is brought to life. And so, what are these attributes that we are called to put on? Uh, what are we called to bring to life? Look at verse 12, if you guys don't have your Bible there. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. You just read those words and you meditate, them on, meditate on them. And just, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but just for me, just reading those words convicts me. Um, now let's just pause and ask ourselves, are our lives marked by these things in all contexts? Church, work, home. Um, if you're like me, I find the hardest place to be godly is in my house. Is this true? That's the, that's the not, nothing about, I have a great family, but that's the hardest place to be godly. Crystal will tell you, you can come ask for testimony after. But um, in all contexts, are we compassionate? Are we kind? Are our lives marked by humility and meekness and patience? These are the things that are above that Paul implores us to seek in verse 1. Actively pursuing them, praying for them, yearning for them, uh, yearning for those things to mark our lives. But I want us to look down at verse 13. There's a transition uh, where Paul begins using a whole lot of one another's. And this is kind of we're going to wrap up what it looks like in the context of community. Um, so if you look there in that verse, then you know, obviously the emphasis of what I've been talking about is a lot of personal sanctification, what that looks like in your life. 
But now you kind of turn the corner and say, what does that look like in the context of our faith family? And uh, let's look at verse 13 together. It says this. Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. So you start seeing all these one another's. And we see in this section that we cannot grow in grace outside of a community of believers to practice on. And this is part... If you, if you zoned out, just zone back in here. This is kind of the ending part right here. But this is part of what makes Blackman Baptist Church so special. Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys epitomize Christian community. We've seen that on full display this morning. It's so good to just hear y'all sitting around talking about the gospel and living life together. Um, and we were part of that when we were here, so we know that. And again, I just want to cheer you on and say press on. Keep doing this, this thing together. Keep bearing with one another's weaknesses. We each bring our own to the table, don't we? We each bring our own stuff. If Crystal and I were here, we'd be blessing in some ways, but we bring our own stuff to the table. We all do that. But keep forgiving one another. Remember how much you have been forgiven. Remember that sin debt that Christ has paid for you. And most significantly, Paul says to put on love. The most important in the whole list because when we love one another, the Bible says that that love covers a multitude of sins. It is able to cover every complaint and frustration we have. Every difficult conversation, every time you feel you have been wronged, love is sufficient to cover it all. He continues, let peace rule and reign in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of God permeate everything you think, say, and do. Teach one another. Admonish admonish one another. Encourage one another with the word of God. Sing to the Lord and to one another with thankful hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How precious it is to see a church family marked by Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. You guys know this is what the world is looking for? Can a group of believers really do this? Does this really work with all the difficulty of the sins that we each bring to the table? Is it really possible to have a community marked like this? And I believe it's rare, even in our churches, but your membership in this church, your presence in this church, tells me that you believe it's true. You want it. The world is craving for it, and so are you. So press on, brothers and sisters. Cling to the gospel. Cling to the spirit. And ask the Lord to help you put on love. Jesus in John says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And that's a big part of our sanctification. So I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. You guys can bow your heads as we prepare to just respond to God's word. And... um, I hope, I know the word is sufficient. I hope that the Spirit is leading you and challenging you in ways that you need to just repent of some things and and, and call out to the Lord and ask Him to do some things in your life, whatever He has revealed to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know. You have never experienced what what it means to be free from the bondage of sin, to be brought back to life, to have your sin debt paid on the cross. And this morning, if you want to place your faith in Christ, and I want to encourage you to do that, I know that In this room, many of you are believers. You know the Lord. You know what He's done for you. And so maybe you just need to confess some ways that you have fallen down in your war with sin. Maybe some areas in your life that you want to give to God. Call out to Him for deliverance and freedom. Just ask God to give us eyes to see ourselves as He sees us. Just open up our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, speak into my life. Speak into my heart. Help me to see clearly.